Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most inspiring and successful healthcare leaders. If you like what you heard today and you like what you hear in general, please go subscribe and rate and review the podcast. We always want to hear what your thoughts are, what you like, what you don't like. This is how we improve, and so really appreciate you doing that. Without further ado, I want to introduce my outstanding guest. Her name is Nadia Adams. Nadia Adams is the Chief Operating Officer of the Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Science at Indiana University School of Medicine. And she also serves as a network director of the Great Lakes Practice Transformation Network. Nadia uses the tools of innovation and agile implementation to transform healthcare for over 10 million patients. Her work focuses on accelerating the adoption of evidence-based practices into everyday environments to provide better care, better health, and lower costs for targeted patient populations. When successful models have been localized and implemented, Nadia concentrates on scaling up these models to increase systematic impact across multiple health systems and care venues. Nadia has accomplished this by partnering innovative researchers with healthcare systems and matchmaking evidence-based knowledge with healthcare delivery needs. That's the tip of the iceberg, listeners, but what I want to do is open up the microphone to Nadia to finish up that intro. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, Nadia. And so I wanted to always, just I always like to know, why healthcare? What got you into this? All right. So my goal in medicine and healthcare is to make sure that we eliminate preventable medical errors and deaths. My brother is actually one of those statistics. As of right today, actually, there are 75,000 annual preventable deaths in the United States. At least 30% of patients experience preventable harms. And so having my younger brother who hasn't been impacted by the healthcare system in this way, I have been fortunate and lucky to be able to really find my passion. So healthcare for me is not just a job. It really is my passion to make sure that I can do whatever I can to make the health system better. When my brother was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. So um, Mm. he suffocated and has severe brain damage. My mom came into the hospital in the middle of the night. And when they found out the situation, they rushed her into emergency C-section. The process that happened in nowadays, there are steps and procedures to make sure that the situation that my brother does not happen to anybody else. But at that time, it was preventable. The doctor that had to deliver my brother was 45 minutes late. And then there wasn't really anybody else at the time that could really deliver him in the hospital we were at. And so it's not any one person's fault, because I believe that we have very bright people in this healthcare system, people that are really good at their work, they're passionate about what they do, and they really want to help people. But we have just a very, very broken system. We spend $750 billion in wasted annual healthcare spending. And the work that I do really focuses on how we can implement evidence into everyday care. And today, 
less than 50% of patients actually receive evidence-based care. Hmm. And so this is really kind of my driving passion is to make sure that we eliminate preventable medical errors and deaths because I have fortunately and unfortunately experienced this. Fortunately, I've really been able to see how it's impacted my family and my brother and really take that perspective and really try to make make sure that we can impact the healthcare system. No, Nadia, really appreciate you sharing that story. And you know, I could definitely tell this is definitely your driver and your motivation for why you're in here. And and some of these stats that you shared are just staggering, right? I mean, seven hundred billion in waste is in my mind unacceptable. And I'm glad that folks like you are really putting in the hours, the thought, and the effort to make it better. And, and so in the light of this topic of preventing the preventable, what would you say a hot topic that should be on every medical leader's agenda should be? And, and how are you guys at, at IU approaching it? Yeah, so a hot topic that I believe should be on the agenda of every healthcare leader is how to innovate in an environment like today, and then also how to implement and sustain evidence-based practices. And so if you look around, the healthcare industry is one of the only industries that really doesn't have R&D within the healthcare system. So if you look at any other industry, there's always research and development departments or funding that's allocated to it. And in the healthcare system, there isn't. Never thought about it that way. Yeah. And I think with the changes that are arising, you know, with the changes within our payment system, health systems will have to know how to innovate to be successful. And I always say innovation thrives in a limited resource environment. And that's exactly the environment that we have today. Now it's making sure that leaders are equipped with the skills of innovation so that they can lead their teams to innovate in this environment. And another one is implementation science, as I call it. And basically, implementation science is how do we take evidence-based practices or bright spots, as some people like to say, and really take those areas that are doing well or work that's really kind of a bright spot within the healthcare industry and localize it to each healthcare leader's environment so that what people are experiencing at Johns Hopkins or Group Health, they can experience in their local environment and local communities as well. And implementation science basically is how do we take evidence-based practices and actually identify the core elements of that evidence and localize it to the local environment so that people in the local community can benefit from the same outcome. And so what we believe is right now, on average, it takes 17 years for any new discovery to be actually be implemented into routine care settings. Um, and years. as you can, 17 years. That is yeah. And so long. as you can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as you can see, 17 years, the world, when it's actually implemented, the world has greatly changed. And so what actually happens is the people that are producing all of this new discovery or evidence, their work and how they're evaluated and promoted is basically by the type of grants that they get and the number of publications that they have and the impact of their publication. And so after they publish the findings of their study, they really view their work as done. Hey, I've shared my results with the entire world. Now I'm going to move on to the next discovery. So what happens is the people that are working in the everyday healthcare systems, they are really busy people. 
And we can't just assume that they're going to take these publications and JAMA or New England Journal of Medicine and actually read it and implement it. And so the implementation science really bridges the gap from discovery to delivery. So what we like to say is we like to move evidence from the bookshelf to the bedside. But in order to do that, healthcare leaders need to figure out how to facilitate the local adoption of that evidence into their own environment. Because we cannot just read the publication and do exactly what Mayo Clinic or Group Health does, right? Right. What we have to do is localize for there may be a differences in patient population and resources and staffing. So there's all these local differences that need to be accounted for. And so what we really do is provide leaders with the skills to be able to do that. And so I think in order to be successful in the environment today, and in order to really meet my goal that I said, eliminating preventable medical errors from our healthcare system, improving the value that we actually deliver to the communities that we serve and patients that we serve, I think that healthcare leaders need to master the skills of innovation and implementation science. This is wonderful, Nadia, and and thank you so much for laying out the groundwork here in in, in the discussion. And to the listeners, you know, what are you doing to put the book knowledge to practice? And Nadia said it more eloquently. What was the uh, tagline that you said there, Nadia? I loved it. From the shelf to... I said, from bookshelf to bedside. I love it. So what can you do to do what Nadia just said, bookshelf to bedside in a much faster time frame than, than 17 years? And these implementation ideas that Nadia is discussing are really fascinating. And so something to think about as a provider and even as a device company or a pharma company trying to help providers deliver care. So Nadia, maybe you could share with the listeners an example of how you guys have done what you've just discussed in a particular example. Yeah, I'll go back to kind of the 17 years figure and really finish it. So right now, not only does it take 17 years to implement new discoveries into to everyday care settings, but on average, only up to 1% of all new discoveries are actually being implemented. And all of the funding that we're putting in traditional research that's costing us, you and I, a billion dollars in taxpayer money. So if you think about the value right now, right? Right. We're spending a billion dollars to discover new things, yet it takes 17 years for these new discoveries to actually even be implemented into everyday settings. And only 1% of those new discoveries are actually ever implemented into routine care settings. And so what we've done is we've really been using kind of the past five years to figure out what is the core skill set to be able to do this, to implement evidence, to scale it up. And when you are faced with a challenge and there's no evidence that exists, how do you use the skills that's an innovation to facilitate your team to think outside of the box and then measure the results of that innovation? And so what we've done, I'll give you an example. We have discovered, so my boss actually, Dr. Moaz Bustani, he's really known in Alzheimer's cognitive impairment and behavioral health world. And so he's actually created a model of care that has proven to deliver better care, better health, lower costs, and improve patient experiences as well as caregiver experiences. So when he first started, his trial only served 200 patients. And so after the trial was successful, the CEO of the, his local system said, hey, 
you have the something that worked. Why are you only serving 200 patients? We need to be able to care for everybody that has cognitive impairment and a behavioral totally. health issue. And so he was able to then expand that to now serve over 2,000 patients. And we really awesome. utilize the skills of implementation science to do that. But 2,000 patients is still not, not enough because there's over 5 million patients with with um, cognitive impairment, Alzheimer's, and behavioral health issues. And so what we've really done is try to, one, take the work that he's done, figure out the core elements of how to deliver this model of care, and then work with other health system leaders to actually implement this across the nation. And so really trying to look at, okay, this is kind of the evidence, what's the core elements, then how do we actually work with other leaders within their communities to localize this evidence and then create an evaluation plan or feedback loops. I like to say a GPS system because we strongly believe, I strongly believe that whatever you implement the first time is not going to give you the gold star. And so you need to be able to know what elements do not work so that you can modify, update, course correct like you would when you're on a road trip, for example, and then really update, modify, and then continue to refine your implementation process. And then when you actually have success, working on scalability. So really, we've been using the core tenets of these implementation science to be able to spread and scale this work. Oh, this is a great, great example with with that, Nadia. And so you also mentioned not every first implementation is going to be that gold star. Can you share with the listeners a time when that did happen, you had a setback, and what you learned from it? Yeah, I think when we first kind of ventured into this work, or when I first ventured into this work, didn't realize... I knew the importance of making data-driven decisions and having as real-time as possible feedback loop, but didn't realize how important that is. And Mm so, one, before you even implement anything, we're talking about a healthcare system, right? And so, anything that we're implementing, we're asking people to do something differently. So, in the healthcare system, it's people providing care for other people. And so humans by nature do not like to change. Majority right. of us, they, we don't like change. And so not only did I underestimate the feedback loop, but I also underestimated kind of the human side of things. And so the other thing that we really focus on to be able to do this work well is we call it behavioral economics or nudges, which is really understanding humans understanding the system, understanding the implementation that has to happen, and how do we actually take people that are used to doing things one way and create a process and system that allows for that human component of flexibility and adaptability, and then build in the data-driven components to be able to say, okay, we're taking people, we're asking them to change, we want to sustain this result, how do we create a data feedback loop system to make sure that we're evaluating the whole entire system and then measure results. Because a lot of times what we see happen in healthcare, and this is kind of what happened initially in some of my first experiences, is we, I like to call it the placebo effect. So Mm -hmm. we say we have a problem, right? We need to, let's say our problem is hand washing, right? We need to increase our hand washing rates. And so we have all these teams and task force and these interventions and and we end up improving hand hygiene rates, right? Mm -hmm. And then we go to another problem. We need to decrease falls, okay? So now we're spending all our time decreasing falls or um, decreasing the amount of falls that we have. 
Well, the hand hygiene or hand washing doesn't get sustained. And then the other problem at first is people are not implementing evidence. So a lot of times in the healthcare system, we're very reactive instead of proactive. And this was a major thing that I had to kind of retrain my brain to think differently with my experiences that initially working in the health system and now kind of being in an academic environment, but being the bridge between academia and healthcare delivery system is first, when we're faced with a problem, let's figure out if there's evidence. And then if there's evidence, how do we actually make sure that we're not just improving the results because it's a new focus and then there's an unintended consequence that's happening for our system in other areas because we're not really monitoring the effects of the entire system. And so I think this is a lot of times the failure that I see and the failures that I experienced when I first started doing this work is we have all these competing priorities, we put time and resources into it, and then when we start working on it, we don't first check to make sure we're not reinventing the wheel. And then when we're putting our resources on it, we're not measuring the impact of the entire system to see if, okay, am I improving because there's more people working in this area and then something else is suffering because of this or am I improving and it's really sustained improvement that is going to be a long-lasting impact for the entire healthcare system. Uh, This is truly insightful, Nadia, and really appreciate you diving into that. And out comes Rocket listeners. You know, you got to make sure not only to pay words to this idea that you need that feedback. You know, Nadia definitely stressed the importance of us having a system that will drive that feedback. And not only to make your goals attainable, but you also have to make them sustainable. And so through the things that that Nadia discussed, I think we could definitely take away some pearls to put some of these things into action to help drive that sustainable change to improve outcomes. Nadia, that that was just wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. So we kind of went to some of the learnings that came from setbacks, Nadia. Maybe you could share what one of your proudest leadership moments in healthcare has been to date. Okay, I would say that probably one of my proudest moments is one of the health systems I work with, I trained all of their primary care practices and population health management. And so I think today, well, a lot of times when we hear about population health management, mm-hmm. we hear about, okay, well, we need to take the data and actually make it meaningful data, right? We have a lot of data, but we don't know the signal from the noise. Well, my work in population health management is, yes, we need to use that data, but if we don't really work on how to kind of work with that local team to help them work at the top of their license, for example, Mm -hmm. to even be able to do population health management, then the data is really not really helpful or meaningful. So what I've done with my our population health training is really train people on how to work at the top of their license, how to be the quarterbacks of their team, and really working differently, moving from a case management approach to a population health management approach. So I got the opportunity to train one of the health systems that I work with, train all of their primary care practices. So all of the lead physicians, all of the practice managers, all of the social workers, and all of the population health nurses and patient liaisons in these locations. And then after we trained and implemented this new way of work, a few months later, I came back to one of the practices and it was actually a federally qualified health center. And the population health nurse and the social worker actually told me, because of working with you, 
and going through the population health management um, teachings and trainings in the implementation science, we have seen two homeless patients that told us that they have not been able to access the system for 10 years. And we were able to connect them with the resources and provide them with what they needed and actually care for them. And I think that that is kind of one of my major accomplishments, I would say, that I have really felt like, wow, what we're doing is making a difference. Yeah, no, that's a really great story, Nadia. And there's so many people out there that we don't think about, you know, on the fringes that are just struggling and wanting care, but just can't seem to find a way to get it. And it sounds like what you did through the project of educating those folks over there on, on population health, you really started a just a ripple effect of increasing access. And overall, you know, it's the health of our communities that are going to determine the health of our overall system. And I think you're, you're doing some pretty great things out there, Nadia. Thank you. Tell us a little bit more about an exciting project or, or focus that you're working on. Yeah. So I would say that the most exciting project that I'm working on right now is called the Great Lakes Practice Transformation Network. This network is a network of seven states. We have over 15,000 providers enrolled in our network. So primary care physicians, specialists, advanced practice providers, clinical pharmacists. And we have within those 15,000 physicians or providers, they make over 2,100 practices. So the providers that I'm working with and the practices that I'm working with, they are within Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and then we have some in Virginia and West Virginia. And what's exciting about it is really being able to apply everything that I've talked about into lots of different settings and seeing how it works. Does it work? Does it not work? What do we need to do differently to make sure that these tools do work? And so what we're working with them on is providing support and technical assistance so that they can be successful in a new payment environment, in an alternative payment environment. So we're using implementation science, innovation, population health management, lean, and taking all those concepts and behavioral change, behavioral economics, putting all those concepts together to see if we can support these practices in moving from a fee-for-service environment to being successful in an alternative payment environment. And we have clinicians enrolled from, we work, I work with a single doc practice all the way to large academic health centers. And so it's been a really great, fun project because I'm able to actually see, okay, what does that rural provider need versus what does that urban, large academic health center or system need to be able to improve the value that we deliver to Americans? That's super exciting, Nadia. And sounds like you guys are doing some major wayfinding there. There's definitely no map. And um, you guys are doing the right things. And, and it's the, the Great Lakes. What did you call the program again? The Great Lakes Practice Transformation Network. Ah, I love it. And the name just has a that ring that, hey, you know what? There is a bright future ahead and we're working toward it. Nadia, I know that I wish we had more time. So we're kind of getting here toward the end and maybe we'll do a part two because this has been fun. Let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. It's the 101 or the ABCs of Nadia Adams. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you four questions. It's a lightning round. You'll give me some prompt responses and then we'll finish up the syllabus with a book you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yes. 
Right. Awesome. Okay. So what is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Really localize evidence-based practices. What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Is going blind, having no sensors, no sensors, no feedback loops to what you're doing today. So when it comes to, let's say we're in another drought where financially we have to make cuts within our healthcare system, much like kind of what many systems faced back in 2008, being able to actually not be blind and know what programs are working and that you should invest money in and what programs are not working and really say, this was a failure. We failed at this and we're going to cut this program instead of keep on doing it just because it's the way things are. Strong. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I think you really, really need innovation and not being the Kodak of the healthcare system, which is Kodak had the great market for photography and cameras. And then because they were not able to innovate, Apple really kind of took them out of business, was able to kind of put our camera in our pocket. Uh, That's a great example there. That idea of fee-for-service is those pictures, the old old school pictures, and what's coming is going to be completely different. I really love that. What is the one area of focus that should drive all else in the organization? The one area of focus that should drive all else in the organization, I think that you have to start with data that is used and useful and actionable. And so a lot of times we have data, but then we ask people, do you really use it or understand it? And most of the time what I hear is no, not really. Mm -hmm. And so how do we move from just saying that we have data to making data-driven decisions? And I think if we had this data, then we can actually translate it better to patient outcomes and improvements. And so I think right now, Steve Jobs has had a famous saying that, you know, the consumer doesn't know what they want. I believe that the patient in the United States may not know what could be of the healthcare system. I think that because of the way the healthcare system has been, the patient or the consumer thinks, well, this is just how it is, right? Mm -hmm. This is the healthcare system. I can't get my care here because my insurance says that there's no coverage for it. I think we working in the healthcare system knows what the healthcare system should be and knows what the healthcare system could be. And so I think it's our responsibility to say, how do we take data, make it meaningful and actionable for us so that we can make this future of what healthcare should be because that's the right thing to do for all of the people that we serve. That's powerful. And finally, Nadia, what book would you recommend to the listeners? I have a lot of favorite books, but I, <laughs> you know, we talked a lot about innovation today. And yes. so I would say if anybody's even interested in just what skill sets should you acquire to even start thinking about how to innovate within your own organizations, organization, I would recommend The Innovator's DNA by Clay Christensen. Chris okay. Clay, Innovator's DNA. <laughs> I love it. Innovators DNA, definitely have to add that to your list, Outcomes Rocket listeners. And don't worry about writing it down. Visit us at outcomesrocket.com. 
com slash Nadia. That's N as in Nancy, A-D-I-A. You'll be able to find all of the show notes and links to the projects that Nadia is working on, as well as the book that she just mentioned here. So no need to worry about writing that note. Just go ahead and visit outcomesrocket.com slash Nadia. Nadia, this has been so much fun. Really appreciate the time that you spent here. But before we conclude, I just want to just open up the mic to you one more time to share a closing thought and the best place where the listeners could get in touch with you. Okay. A closing thought is I think we're all in this all work in healthcare to really make a difference. And so if we can even just build upon each other's knowledge, connect and collaborate and figure out all of our strengths and weaknesses and really also think outside of the box, what's working well in other industries that we can actually take into the healthcare system and create better value for the patients that are being served in the healthcare system. And then the best way to contact me would be via LinkedIn or my email. Awesome, Nadia. Listen, I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was so informative and uh, really hope to get you on uh, next time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more. 